Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is James DeSimone. He is an attorney at law, has been practicing in the state of California since 1985. Uh, he went to UCLA. That's actually where my dad and my brother went to school, and my wife. And before that, uh, John Hopkins University. Uh, Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Eric. So, as I told you, I want to have a discussion with you today about uh, social media and personal privacy. So let's start at ground zero. You know, what, what rights to privacy do all U.S. employees enjoy? The rights to privacy vary from state to state. Several states, including recently just the state of Colorado and the state of California put this on the books last year, have enacted laws that prohibit an employer from requesting as a condition of employment, whether at the inception of employment or during the employment, an employee's password to social media sites, i.e., let me, let me have your fa- Facebook password and see what you've been doing on there. Not allowed under the law. That being said, I think any employee has got to be careful in terms of what they put out there on social media sites, blogs, Twitter, anything, where they have a realization that what they place on those websites or on those social media sites may be able to be seen by their boss. And, and this is why. Look, it's human nature to be friends with people you work with. You may think that you could trust those people. You may think that they would never show their boss what you've said about the day of work. But sometimes uh, that, that trust can be misplaced. And uh, if you're out there defaming your boss in an at-will state like California, that can be used against you in terms of losing your job. So if your job is important to you, I think you should think twice about what you put on your social media sites. So let's, let's go big picture here because there's really nowhere in the Constitution that guarantees a right to privacy, right? So, so where is this coming from? Well, the right to privacy has been inferred in the Constitution, and there is a right to privacy in the California Constitution, uh, and that is enumerated in, in the California Constitution that all of us have a right to privacy. So there is a strong body of case law protecting the rights of employees and their privacy rights in, in the state of California. More broadly across the country, there's a right of privacy that has been um, that has been honored by the United States Supreme Court at, at times, although it's not as stringent as what we have here in, in California. And when you deal with the right of privacy, you're always going to have a balancing test. The balancing test is what is the right of privacy, what is being infringed upon here, and what is the compelling rationale, if any, for allowing that private information to be obtained by, uh, by someone else. For instance, there's a lawsuit going on. Well, the right to identifying information of any witnesses has always trumped the right of those witnesses to have their identification be maintained private. At least it should be by a court of law. 
Now, how might you interpret the Fourth Amendment on reasonable search and seizure as a right to privacy? Well, remember, the, the Fourth Amendment deals with government intrusion into our rights. So the, the, the right to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures uh, has to do with um, when, a, when a government agent, most often the police, wants to seize something, whether it's evidence from our home or actually seizing a person in order to search that individual. So the Fourth Amendment really does not apply to the private context of an employer-employee relationship. What about the 14th Amendment, which uh, Brandeis interpreted as the right to be left alone? Well, in, 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 in that instance, um, yes, the Fourth Amendment, 14th Amendment is a due, the, the, the right to due process. But again, I mean, that, that does implicate the government and bringing those rights um, that are Guaranteed to us against the federal government, also down to the state level, so that we have that we're protected against any municipalities or any states or any counties from infringing upon those rights. It wouldn't necessarily implicate, I don't think, what your employer is doing uh, when when they are trying to we find out we find out more about what you're doing on on your off time. The important thing is this: when you step into the workplace. You've got to realize that the employer has the right to monitor your web usage so they can look at they can look at what you're doing. They have the right to track employee visited websites on company computers. They can block you from looking at certain websites and they can limit the amount of time that you spend on a specific website while you're at work. You're giving up those rights when you walk in into the workplace. So let's talk for a minute here about uh, what's going on with the NSA uh, collecting data from Verizon. And I'd like to read you a paragraph from an article that appeared in Forbes yesterday by Tony Bradley. Um, He writes, in the case of the NSA collecting data from Verizon, there's a court order. What's missing is probable cause or specific threat or investigation. The NSA has been gathering intelligence like this under the umbrella of national security for years. However, while it seems to infringe on privacy at some level, since the government isn't gathering the information with the intent of prosecuting you, it could be argued that it's not really violating the Fourth Amendment. In other words, the government data collection does seem to violate the intent of the Fourth Amendment, but until or unless the government tries to prosecute you based on the evidence it's gathered, the Fourth Amendment doesn't really come into play. Uh, so agree or disagree, and does America have a case against the NSA? Well, in answer to the first question, I disagree that the Fourth Amendment doesn't come into play unless the government decides to prosecute you. I mean, that happens all the time with my clients. I prosecute police misconduct cases where you'll have someone whose Fourth Amendment rights have been violated. They spend a few days in jail, and basically they're let go and told to forget about this, and no charges are are, are pressed against them. that does not mean that their Fourth Amendment right has not been violated if they were arrested for no reason. So I'm not sure where the author is coming from on that particular, uh, in that particular point. As a practical matter, just because the government has the access to, to that information, I suppose perhaps the point he's making is no harm, no foul. 
let's say they have a list of all the phone numbers I've called for the last two years. Well, that doesn't harm me like the person who just spent three days in jail when they didn't potentially commit a crime. But do the people of the United States of America have a case against the NSA? Probably not with this Supreme Court. I mean, we just had the Supreme Court decide that anyone's DNA can be taken if they're arrested of a quote-unquote serious crime. Whatever rises to the level of serious crime wasn't, isn't defined very specifically. So if your DNA can be lifted by virtue of the fact that you're in contact with the police and they have you, then I don't think that the United States Supreme Court is currently constituted and a case like this would end up winding its way to, to the United States Supreme Court, is going to side on the part of the people and say, wait a minute, NSA, you can't have those phone numbers. So while we may all have a case in theory, in practicality, I don't think it will go very far. What implications, if any, do the, does the outcome of the situation between the NSA and, and uh, the American people have for how employers treat employees? Do you, do you, could could circumstances between the government and citizens and the outcomes legally from that type of a scenario factor into what becomes legal between employers and employees? I, I just don't see that as, as the same here. I mean, could it have implications? Well, it, it, potentially. But, I mean, there really is a distinct scenario where the United States, I mean, we, we did have the situation where the World Trade Centers were brought down on September 11, 2001. And in that situation, yes, I mean, there was, we have the Patriot Act and we had civil liberties being curtailed and we had these phone numbers being taken by the United States government in the interest of national security in order to protect the United States people. I mean, the goal is a very lofty one. The, the, the importance of this is, is very clear. I mean, some might state that the case of terrorism is, is, is overstated and this was a one-time incident and it's unlikely to, to reoccur. But part of me, having family members who were in the vicinity who worked at the World Trade Center and witnessed, uh, thankfully still alive, but witnessed uh, from, from feet away what, what occurred there. I mean, part of me has to wonder that if somebody wasn't doing their job better in terms of the FBI and CIA cooperating, if that tragedy could have been averted. Now, transfer that over to the private employer sector. Well, what could possibly be a private employer's compelling rationale, for instance, to get the um, every single phone number that one of their employees utilized when they're off work? It just, it just doesn't seem that there would be any way for an employer to justify uh, that type of intrusion on, on an employee's privacy rights. Now, you mentioned that Colorado has joined a growing number of states that uh, are protecting the social media privacy of employees and applicants, and one of the ways they're doing that is by prohibiting um, employers from demanding access to the employee's personal social media account or, or service through their personal device. Um, how, beyond just that uh, development with respect to password uh, protection, how else does social media privacy rights for employees differ from state to state? Well, I can't say that I've done a, a state-by-state analysis of this. I do think that California, for instance, because the right to privacy is enumerated in our California Constitution, you would have a higher bar 
for to employers for getting that type of information from its employees. But under the California law, there's still an exception. I mean, if an employer is involved in an investigation of misconduct, the employer can make a showing and gain access to a person's uh, social media site. For instance, you have a sex harassment case, and one of your employees um, is uh, taking that harassment of an individual and then bringing it onto his or her social media site, then I would think that if the employer is part of the investigation of that harassment under the change in the law in California would have a right to... Um, to seek access to that social media site in order to show a pattern of harassment on this on this particular employee. But it's a, it's, a, it's a new world out there. I mean, we would never even be discussing this 20 years ago because <laughs> there, there were no social media sites. So I think the law is evolving and the law is probably catching up uh, to try to figure out how to deal with the fact that individuals spend so much time on, on social media sites and how that could uh, be both used for, uh, for good purposes and, 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 and obviously harmful purposes in some situations. So when you think about um, common ways in which social media could create personal privacy conflicts in the workplace, you know, one of the things that comes up probably for most companies is this idea of social media background checks. Right, the, the, the idea that you would do some sort of pre-employment screening via social media for recruiting or hiring. Let, let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, what about these? I know there's a lot of social media background check companies out there that you can outsource social media background checks to. Would you think it would be somehow safer from a legal standpoint to outsource to a third party for that type of activity? Would you have some protection by doing that? Well, it would still be discoverable in a lawsuit. I think there's a danger to it, and the danger is this. If you have information, and you've done an investigation, and you have information, for instance, that a person that has a disability or has is planning on becoming pregnant, and you learn that from their social media because you've done that type of investigation, and then you don't hire that person, and he or she perceives that they're the most qualified person for the job, company doesn't do a background check, it's deniability. We didn't know you were going to get pregnant. We didn't know you were going to have a disability. It's unlawful, for instance, to inquire into someone's disability under the Fair Employment and Housing Act in California. But if you get that information and then there's an adverse employment action against that person, it could create a liability concern for those companies. What about the, the, the Fair Credit Reporting Act? How might that come into play when you consider the, the legality of social media background checks? Well, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a similar uh, issue in that you're looking at employees, their, their background. If I know for a long time, uh, we would get calls and say, hey, I wasn't, I wasn't hired because of my bad credit. I mean, that seems like... I mean, that's not fair. I've been out of work. I'm trying to get a job to take care of my credit. I mean, how am I supposed to take care of this problem? And a real source of legitimate frustration on the part of the employee. Why wouldn't the company want to take a chance just because they've had a, a temporary setback that has resulted in a, in, a, in a poorer credit rating? But again, in California, the, a law has been passed that you can only uh, utilize those types of credit background uh, checks in, in specific instances 
where the person's going to be responsible for um, large sums of money um, and, and in certain other exceptions. But for the vast majority of jobs, you just can't uh, use someone's credit rating as, as a reason to hire them or not hire them. What about off-duty conduct on social media? Do, do employees have a greater right to privacy uh, using social media off-duty? Well, I think that they, I think they have a right to it. Um, again, I mean, exercise that right prudently. I mean, most states, have, uh, 49 of the 50 states are at-will employee states. I think the only exception is Wisconsin. What does at-will mean? That means that the company can fire you for no reason at all. They don't have to have a reason. Uh, they can't have a bad reason. They can't do it because they're discriminating against the person. But in this instance, in, in an instance like that where it's like, well, this person is doing things off-duty, they sort of give the company a bad reputation, they have concerns that that could spill over in, in, into the workplace, um, that uh, that can impact negatively on on a person's um, employability. So I think that uh, you really have to look at the footprint you're putting out there from an employee perspective. And from an employer perspective, I think you have to have a balance of letting employees live their life outside of work, and if they're doing a good job inside of work, perhaps let's you know, don't don't try to make this a draconian workplace such that you're making everyone fear for their job when they go home for the weekend when they should be relaxing, hopefully. What about this idea of shoulder surfing? You know, looking over someone's shoulder. Um, is it illegal for an employer to monitor an employee's social media conduct over their shoulder? It's not at all. I mean, it, it, once if when the person's at work, whatever they do at work is is fair game for the employer. I mean, over the shoulder is one thing. I mean, an employer can actually set up a device legally to monitor that person's internet usage at work. What if it's their personal device? Like, what if it's their personal laptop or their personal smartphone? Well, everyone has a right to breaks, for instance. So you have a right to a 10-minute break. You have a right to a lunch break. If you're going to use your laptop on your lunch break, and, it, and it's then in that instance, I would think that it would be unlawful for an employer to somehow snoop as to what that as to what that individual is doing on their own personal device. What if the employer has a need for secrecy or uh, or privacy? Um, can the employer uh, contraband um, smartphones or any phone at all? You know, any transmitting device from the workplace. Well, um, you mean can they forbid someone from coming into the workplace with their own personal cell phone? It's a good question. Right. I hadn't considered that before, but I, I would imagine that that could be a requirement of uh, of a job. Hey, we're just not going to allow you to have your own cell phone at work. If you want to, if, if if you need to contact someone, you need to use a work phone. We want you to be focused on work when you're here. Um, I don't know that such a prohibition would be unlawful, but let's face it, <laughs> now, that company would have to have an off, awfully attractive uh, employment uh, package for someone to forego the right to their own cell phone, the way we all depend on them these days. So um, one of the uh, 
agencies, U.S. regulatory agencies, that's been the most aggressive in policing um, relationships between employees and employers on social media is the National Labor Relations Board. And um, currently, there is a case, Noel Canning versus uh, the NLRB, that could have an impact on how employers try to regulate social media usage in the workplace, right? Well, I mean, right now, the whole NLRB authority has been thrown up into the air by the fact that Obama made a recess or three recess appointments to the NLRB. Uh, this has traditionally been done in every administration, both Republican and Democrat, but in an effort, frankly, from my perspective, to undermine the Obama administration's ability to uh, govern and appoint good people to uh, positions such as the NLRB, it's now being called into question. And indeed, uh, a, a district court of appeal uh, in the D.C. district said the appointment was not proper. So that does um, throw into doubt the NLRB rulings that were issued during uh, during those reigns, so to speak. Maybe reigns not the right word dur- during uh, the, that person's administration uh, in, in the NLRB. So um, what, how do you think this is going to fall out? I mean, do you think if we see a Republican administration come in next term that that could be undone? Um, prognosticate for us, if you can, of where we might be headed. Well, I, I would hope that uh, that a fair shake would be given and that the appointments would, would be honored. I mean, that's what ought, ought to happen. It's... it's you have a problem right now across the board, for instance, with getting judges appointed to uh, ver- various um, posts for uh, the federal government. And you really, I mean, I, I think in in the year 2013 and during the Obama administration, I mean, we've just never seen such a deep division between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party such that you have one party who's seeking to hamper the other party's to, ability to govern to this, to this degree. The prognostication is not, is not necessarily that rosy, though, because, again, you have a United States Supreme Court that is, is equally divided along partisan lines, and in cases of uh, politics, i.e. Bush versus Gore, um, has uh, sided with the um, with, with the Republican view of things because of the, the their own partisanship. So um, I, I don't know that it bodes well for for the NLRB and their ability to um, to make good law that would protect employees in a big situation, this, this really impacts the, the issue of arbitration agreements. I know it's a little off topic, but the NLRB issued a ruling that basically said that, in, that a, a arbitration agreement could not prohibit class actions because that would prohibit the collective type of action that is protected under the National Labor Relations Act, and that too has been called into question with these recess appointments. So it does have uh, implications for employees and empl- employers across the board. I wish I had a better crystal ball, but I'm not sure how this one's going to play out. So we're at a point where 91% of adults use social media. 85% of employers think there's a benefit to using social media at work. Half of all companies globally have had to discipline an employee for the misuse of social media at work. And still, less than a third provide any sort of training at all. If you're ready to train the enterprise, um, Comply Socially has 80 hours of online social media training courseware. 
uh, that's available for license. It is uh, the most cost-effective way to train a large employee population, and you can do it anytime, anywhere, on any device. If you're interested in becoming a reseller, hop on over to complysocially.com, visit the reseller link on the bottom of the page, and fill out the form. We'd love to talk to you. Or if you're at a company where you're in charge of social media and you'd like to get the rest of the folks are retweeting, liking, and commenting on your stuff. We have a solution for you to scale engagement in the workplace and manage risk at complysocially.com. Check us out. So what about friending subordinates on social media? What are the dangers from a personal privacy standpoint of uh, you know, a boss friending their direct reports or vice versa on social media? Well, I think that from a, a you know, I think it puts the employee in an awkward position because, of course, you want to please your your boss if you value your job and you don't want to offend them in any way. But then you have to understand that anything you put out there is going to be viewed by your boss. Um, so, I, I think that there shouldn't that that was that was an issue okay we don't want the password but we'll require that everyone friends the uh, head of human resources so that we keep track of what they would do on social media seems to have the same effect and and something that uh, should should not be should not be required but we all make choices on on how we use social media and and my advice to anyone who engages in the use of social media maintain a positive perspective don't put down your job. Don't talk about how much you hate your job or you hated an employee or, or any other problems. Don't put that out there so that anyone on your friends list can read or that they, that they can forward it to someone else. It's just not a good idea if you want to keep your job. Unless, of course, you're doing it to improve your working conditions or bargain collectively. Well, I mean that's a, that, I mean that's a good disclaimer. I, I agree, Eric. But I mean, if if you really want to improve your working conditions, don't go on social media to do it. There's nothing in the law that 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 protects the manner in which things are communicated. In other words, if you have a human resources policy and, and you're working for a particular company and you have a grievance, go through that human resources policy. If you were standing outside your employer's uh, work workplace and screaming to the world about what a terrible boss you have, well, I think that that would be grounds for termination, even if part of that was I'm working in unsanitary work conditions, for instance. The, the employer could say, hey, you might have a legitimate grievance, but the manner in which you're communicating it is not proper. You have How is that any different? How is that any different than a picket line? Well, that's a different situation. I mean, there you've got collect that that that's a that's a great point, and there you have a collective bargaining situation where the employees have taken the decision to picket that company. But in the history of of labor, em, employees have been terminated in situations where they have organized. I mean, look back to the air traffic controllers under Reagan in the, in the 1980s. I mean, these guys were, were talking about safety uh, for, for all of us who, who fly on airplanes. 
and their working conditions. All of those guys were terminated. It was it was upheld. It was upheld by the United States Supreme Court as, as lawful. So um, there there are situations uh, where. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's retaliation when, when there's collective bargaining. But I think you are under a better protection if you're doing it collectively with other union members because there you have, you have rights that don't exist necessarily if, if you're an individual just screaming out to the world. And the reason I use that example, Eric, is because I think that screaming out to the world in front of your employer's workplace is somewhat akin to putting that out on a Twitter or Facebook page and, and explaining uh, how, how you have problems with your boss. I mean, be smart. If you, got, if you have issues like that, go through the proper channels at work to, to address those grievances in order to have a better chance at effectuating change and making your employment and the employment of your coworkers better instead of just getting into a battle with your boss. Let's talk for a minute about, let's go a little deeper into friending. If I have my Facebook privacy settings set to allow friends of friends, would it be legal for my employer or a litigator to access my profile through a common connection for the purposes of verifying statements I've made or to check my background? Well, two things. I mean, one, privacy setting of friends of friends doesn't seem very prudent. Your privacy settings should be on uh, the on, on friends only for, for sure, because friends of friends could mean anyone. You don't know who you know who's out there exponentially if you if that's your privacy setting. But absolutely, I mean, if you if you've put it there and then you have a particular friend and who has betrayed you, so to speak, and then provides this information to an, an employer, well, the, the cat's kind of out of the bag, and there's someone who you trusted to allow access to that information who has now communicated that to the employer. Can the employer use that against you in litigation? Most likely they can. Can, can an employer use that not to hire you or to fire you from a job? I mean, it depends on what the conduct is. I think you make a very good case if, if the communication has to do with a legitimate complaint against about workplace conditions or discrimination or harassment. I think the employee would have a case to say, hey, you're retaliating against me for making a complaint uh, about my working conditions that is protected on, under the law. But if it's just griping, then I think the employer is in a better position uh, to use that uh, information against an employee. So, again, what I advise folks is don't put that stuff online. There's no, nothing good can come from it. Who owns an employee's content, social media content or connections, after they leave the company? Well, I think it depends on the, on the context. I mean, in a case, for instance, where an employee is tasked with developing a social media site for the company purpose, uh, in that instance, those contacts, let's, let's say you're doing it and they're, they're, they're client lists. I mean, one uh, item that courts across the country, even including California, which, which is very strict on this, has protected. If a company has developed, for instance, a client list of clients who use their particular service or product that's unique to that company, then that could be the type of trade secret um, that can be 
kept by the company that that employee should then not be able to go take that list and use it at, at, at job number two. But if it's the employee's own website or own social, you know, their own Facebook page, um, even if they have access that at work, I think the, the employee would still uh, own, own the content to that. I mean, there was a case, for instance, where the person was designing uh, the company's websites and then left the company and the company said, well, look, you employee, you know, the court said employee, you've got to give your company access to that. I mean, it's the company's uh, website, it's the company's blog, it's the company's social media page. You can't keep them from it, but uh, the employee was able to utilize some of the work that they had done in, in a portfolio to show their design services for other companies because the court said, look, this isn't harming the company. So again, you've got that balancing test in terms of the way the information can be utilized by both the employee and the employer. Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg is a former U.S. Deputy of Treasury Chief of Staff who many say was handpicked by Mark Zuckerberg to lead the company through what's a potential minefield of regulatory threats to their attempt to redefine privacy. From a legal standpoint, are there limits to how Facebook can mine and sell information they glean from the social graph? Well, I think there's a couple of different aspects there. Um, I'm not aware of any such limits as far as once you agree to the terms of use of Facebook, um, I think you are opening yourself up to, for instance, these advertisements that people think, oh, wow, I had just been emailing about that. How is there an advertisement popping up on my Facebook page uh, at advertising uh if someone's having marital problems, and here's, a, here's an advertisement for a divorce lawyer, for instance. Um, that sort of thing uh, is utilized by Facebook. It's utilized by Facebook every day. I don't think there's anything unlawful about it. But where Facebook is drawing the line, and I give them a, a lot of credit for this, is they will not willingly, if, if they're subpoenaed, and if somebody subpoenas, for instance, the content of your Facebook page, and you've set your privacy uh, limits to, to be private, um, Facebook will not turn that information over, um, as I understand it, with, without a fight. Let's, let's wrap it up with a conversation about right to privacy on mobile devices. So 93% of U.S. citizens over 18 have a smartphone, uh, and we're on the precipice of the release of Google Glass and other wearable technologies can't be far behind. What right to privacy do U.S. employees have over the information they access through their cell phones? I think right now, we, if, if you're use, utilizing your own device uh, and it's not a company device, I think that you do have the, the right to privacy uh, in, in that information and an employer should not be able to, for instance, say, let me see what you've been doing on, on, on your, on your cell phone. Um, but if you're using that in a way that harasses others, you're sexting employees and so on, well, that's something in terms of the balancing test of an investigation, the right to privacy, you have to realize that perhaps there is a way for an employer to, to gain that, that information. You know, the, the 
it's said that we have no right to privacy anymore. You know, that there's a certain view out there, well, we just don't have have a right to privacy. I don't think we've gone that far. I do think that employees still maintain some privacy rights in, 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 in the workplace. I mean, that, that's absolutely what the, what the law should be. But as a practical matter, as technology increases and as we become increasingly reliant on that technology and more open with what we share with others, I think anyone who utilizes those devices, has, you, can, you just have to be aware that, um, that, that this can be used against you. It's kind of the, the old Miranda warning. Everything, anything you say can will be used against you when you're dealing with a law enforcement officer. Well, now, for better or for worse, that sort of mantra of anything you say can and will be used against you um, sort of pervades everything we do. It's, it's, it's an unsettling feeling, but it's one that once you have that awareness as, as an individual, um, you just have to conduct yourself in, in, in a manner that you're not going to open yourself up to um, getting prosecuted or, or losing a job if you value that job. But but you do have less privacy on an employee owned on an employer owned phone than your own phone. Like if they if they've given you the phone, you have less privacy. Yeah, I don't think you have any. I, I I would I would answer that question by saying you have no privacy on an employer owned phone. What if it's uh, an what if you're getting a reimbursement for your phone bill? Well, that's a good question. I and in. And I'm not entirely sure of, of the law as it applies to each state, but if you're just getting it reimbursed and the phone is, is in your name, I think that's where the privacy rights would have to be balanced in terms of um, you're giving up some privacy in terms of work-related uh, things that you use with that phone, uh, tasks that you uh, perform with that phone. But in terms of would that mean, for instance, that an employer would have the right to listen in on your private conversations when you're out of work? No, I don't think that the law would extend that far and that you'd be protected from that type of intrusion. What if I was um, using my phone but uh, using it over company wireless, company Wi-Fi? Would that compromise my security, my, my privacy? If... Potentially, I mean, if you if you if you're at if you're at your place of work, you're using it, uh, but you but you're using the settings so that you've um, so that you're you're utilizing the company's Wi-Fi in order to. I mean, there's a distinction. Now, let, let's think about it in terms of what if you're using the company's Wi-Fi to access websites on on your phone. Perhaps the company would be able to have the technology to monitor that. But if you're at work and you're using, let's say, a cell tower that the company has erected in order, let's say, you don't get great reception, they say, okay, we're going to have an AT&T cell tower here so that if you use AT&T, you can get better reception at work. I do not think that if you have a private phone call on break time that there would be any reason for the company to be able to monitor that call. But if it's a work-related call, companies do have the right to monitor it. They just have to let you know that they might be monitoring it. And if the company's reporting it, they absolutely have to provide notice. It's against the law in the state of California to record a conversation without notice to the person who's being recorded, unless, of course, you're dealing with a warrant situation, which wouldn't be the, the case in most instances. Could I log your traffic, Pat? If you're, if you're to your cell phone, but I'm the employer and it's my Wi-Fi, 
could I log your uh, traffic patterns, where you went, how long you went there? Um, if I had the technology to do it, would that be an invasion of privacy? I think I think they can I think they can do it these days. I think I do not think that it would necessarily violate their the, the, the privacy rights under the current state of the law because you're on the employer's time. You know, if you're saying, well, I'm, I'm here, but you're somewhere else, and the employer can tell by your cell phone, for instance, where you're located, uh, I think that's the type of thing that, um, in that instance, even if you didn't say anything, it still could be used against you just by virtue of the fact that you're in a location that you shouldn't be while you're at work. Now, Jim, I have to think that in your business of employment law, um, Google Glass is causing a lot of consternation. Um, tell us, what types of personal privacy invasions could you foresee if this wearable technology becomes ubiquitous? Well, I think that um, in, in, in terms of uh, it, each employee, Having, uh, you know, being connected in, in, a, in a constant situation, I think that that does raise a, a, a concern. Um, and, boy, I'll tell you, I, I think 20 years ago, I was like, do I really want to have a cell phone around with me all the time because I don't want people to find me. At this point, it's just something that we accept uh, that, uh, hey, I'm going to be reachable um, after after hours, whether it's by email and so on. It really creates some challenges in the work-life balance that, that all of us all of us face, especially if you're, if you're a professional and have uh, individuals, your clients, opposing counsel who, uh, who want a piece of, of your time. But from, an, from my perspective, I represent employees. And in terms of representing employees, I let the employees know, my clients know from the outset that everything you do might be monitored by the, by the employer. I mean, heck, they can hire, hire someone to conduct video of you uh, when, when, when you don't know it. So um, in terms of when, when there's a lawsuit in place or when someone's contemplating a lawsuit, I think that they have to consider each and every action that they engage in and, uh, and act accordingly so that they don't end up jeopardizing their, their position. So final question, I'm going to ask you to turn the tables here. Let's say an employer came to you and said, Jim, we see a lot of value in social media. We, re- we really think it can help us, and we want to encourage widespread adoption and use in the workplace, but we don't want to run afoul of any personal privacy issues. We don't want to invade anyone's privacy. How can you advise us to enable our employees to use social media and also circumvent potential right to privacy or potential privacy, personal privacy invasion? What would you advise them? Well, I would advise them to create a workplace in which employees uh, feel loyal to their company such that their use of social media will reflect well on the company. I mean, you cannot uh, have a workforce in which you mistreat your employees and then think that somehow they're going to be utilizing social media to promote your company. Now, there's always a tension between the employer's 
wanting to make a profit and in, in potentially and uh, the the employee's well-being. But if you're going to do that for a company, I think the first step is to make sure you have a workplace in which employer employees feel valued so that when they are asked to use social media in a way that promotes the company they they do so um, but in terms of what in terms of safeguarding their employees rights i think that they would have to uh, make it clear to the employees that we want you to use the social media platforms in a way that promotes the company however if there are aspects of your private life that you would like to keep separate from what we're trying to do as a company have your own have your own Facebook page or something, but keep the employer out of it. We're asking you to keep that separate and apart. So um, I think putting together some uh, a firm set of rules and regulations about do's and don'ts of what you expect from your employees on social media would be a, a good second start in order that the employees' uh, expectations in terms of what they're being asked to do are are met and that you're also not so circumventing employee from having their own life outside of work by asking them to participate in the social media of the company that you allow for that type of individuality that uh, sometimes a, a social uh, media Facebook page, for instance, can engender. It gives, gives us a way to show the world, hey, this is who I am. Well, employees should, should not be stripped of that right just because they have a job. So now, as you were answering, I was nodding my head and agreeing with you until you got to this part where you started to say that, you know, you, you should have a, you know, don't rope your employer into your online presence. And then I kind of, I kind of stopped because, you know, I realized it's become so difficult to segregate uh, your presence online. I mean, just the other day, I uh, downloaded something on my iPhone that integrates with LinkedIn and it's and I it was a contact thing. I don't remember what it's called. I'll, I'll try to have a link to it in the show notes. But I'm actually looking for it's called Contacts, LinkedIn Contacts, little app. And I installed it on my phone. I didn't really understand what it was, and I tapped it. And what it did was it went onto my iPhone. It took all my personal connections on my iPhone and put them into my LinkedIn Contacts. Now it didn't go ahead and invite them all to be members of my LinkedIn network, but it did put them into my contacts. So, you know, it's becoming increasingly difficult to have two personas online, particularly as all these social networks want to verify your identity so that they can sell, you know, your behavior to advertisers. Um, I mean, do you think that's realistic, that people could actually do that moving forward? Well, I think that it, it, it depends. I mean, what you speak about is, is something that uh, LinkedIn is traditionally thought of as an employment-related site. But um, you know, one way one way to do it is you know to modify your name somewhat on your personal Facebook page. Um, you know, Twitter is something where it goes out to the world no matter what. So you don't have that sort of you know unless you're blocking people or. Um, I suppose there's a way to set privacy settings, but as I understand it, hey, once you tweet, you're, you're basically anyone could potentially read, read that tweet, not just those who are following you. I mean, it could be retweeted and so on. But in terms of Facebook, for instance, which uh, even so many of us uh, older individuals enjoy so much that so you can make connections with individuals through, throughout your life, so you want to use your name 
but maybe change it up just a little bit so that you have that separate uh, if you truly want to keep it private and not uh, not work-related. It's a hard question for me to answer because, quite frankly, I love social media. I integrate my work into my personal Facebook page. I reveal certain things about myself privately that I think, you know, that in terms of who I am as a person uh, because I don't have a problem with who I am as a person. But when I accomplish something or when I'm going to be on the radio or something like that, then I let my Facebook friends know about it. So um, I, I hear what you're saying, and I know why you're shaking your head, our, our head, because increasingly in this day and age, our personal life and our work life is so intertwined by, by virtue of this technology. It used to be on a Friday night, I'd go home, and if nothing came in over the fax machine by 5 o'clock, I didn't have to worry about anyone contacting me. That's just no longer true. People expect answers even on Saturdays sometimes, and uh, it, it, it's a price we, we pay, and, and balancing that uh, is something I haven't completely found out, found out the answer for, but I think all of us, both employers, employees, lawyers, non-lawyers, will continue to navigate these difficult waters and try to find a balance that, uh, that works on each side. Whether you're listening through social media today or on the record online, uh, thanks for joining us for this episode, and uh, James DeSimone, thanks for taking the time to do this. Eric, my pleasure. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.